a Podcast One production. Sonia Shockett is one of our wisest voices on intuitive guidance and universal support. She's an esteemed spiritual teacher, author, psychic and speaker, having worked with hundreds of thousands of people around the world. In her writing, she explores practical teachings for cultivating inner strength, joy and direction. Sonia says, trusting our vibes is the only path to living an empowered, authentic existence and the one way we can successfully navigate life with all of its varying challenges and circumstances. In this heartfelt conversation, Sonia and I discuss taking responsibility of your consciousness, how we are the powerful co-creators of our life, and why self-love is so important. If there was one quick lesson right now to make your life work and your intuition open up is love yourself without condition. Just love yourself. Doesn't mean love your personality quirks, love your essence, love your spirit, love the life force that makes your eyes pop open and your heart beat. It's beautiful. Love yourself. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is a life of greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. Sonia Choquette is a prolific writer, teacher and visionary. Some of her books include Trust Your Vibes, Diary of a Psychic and Ask Your Guides. In this episode, you will learn how to attract your desires and create a life beyond your wildest dreams. Sonia, you came from an intuitive family. Your mother taught you to trust your vibes. When was the moment you realised that there was more to life than you could see? Well, that's a great question. And my answer is surprising in that I didn't realise that. What I realized is when I started to go to school, what was obvious to me was not obvious to others. And that was a big surprise. I always felt energy. I always sensed guidance. I always felt that that there was more than met the physical eye and assumed, because it was part of my family dynamic, that that was just a natural way to be in the world. So when I started kindergarten and first grade and started to see, notice that other people were not feeling the energy the way I was feeling. We're not sensing the presence of guides and, and couldn't see how energy was flowing. I was a little confused. It's like what, like, like they were handicapped or something. And I was surprised. And, and then I learned that I had to be a little more discreet. I had to, that, that being open about it was not necessarily embraced. I I was, I made people uncomfortable. You've got a funny story that I read. If you could tell us a bit about that. It was when you were young and you knew that there was going to be a test and you (laughs) told everyone. Told everybody in school. I went to a Catholic school. It was, it was uh, small, but run by nuns and I I could feel the test. So I I did tell my friends there was going to be a test and I and the the teacher was the the nun who was at the time just was convinced 
that I cheated, that I somehow snuck in or saw it on the on her desk or and was very upset. And that that was actually the turning point in my life was like, well, no, you've been thinking about this test all week. Why would why? What's the big surprise? You might as well have been broadcasting it over the radio as far as I was concerned. So me talking about it was like, this is common knowledge. Are you ready for the test? And that that was a a bit of a turning point for me because I got a negative reaction Mm. and I just thought, what is your problem? You know, I was six. I was, I wasn't, I didn't have an agenda. I was just being open and sharing what was obvious. And that really was kind of an interesting experience for me to, to have, you know, it's like someone telling you, how dare you see what you see? Mm. Shut your eyes. You know, to me, it was the same. And so I, it took a bit of, it took a bit of paying attention to, it was almost said not to learn the new dance of, you know, what can I share freely? And I also, it was only publicly because at home, this was normal. Mm. When I grow up, we set a place at the table for the visiting guides. We, we talk to the spirits like we talk to one another. It, it was, it still is that way. I mean, there wasn't a, a veil between this and the subtle world. So it was just a, a, a curious, to me, peculiar requirement that I had to pretend not to know what I knew. And moreover, be really discreet about it. So that that was a dance that I got good at eventually, but was super confusing to me in the beginning it just made it made me it made me feel like the world was insane and your mom who is obviously exceptionally intuitive how did she explain that all to you well she would say she said that we all have a spirit that guides us and that's our primary resource of truth and what takes care of us so we called it listen to your spirit in our home for example, we wouldn't say what you think or what they say, or she'd always come back to us from the earliest age saying, well, what does your spirit say? She empowered me and my siblings that way from the time I was little. So when I said that to her, she just would say they lost their spirit. They're not talking, they, they don't lost the connection. So you have to just be patient with them. And that, then I could understand they're not talking to their spirit, their spirit they cut it off. It's like they unplugged. I was like, really? Why would you unplug from from your gut, from your inner compass? But she said, most people do. So you just have to have, she would say, have to this day, she's 90. She's like, have compassion for them. They're they're unplugged. What a beautiful way of looking at it. Well, I have a bit of an interesting story with her. She my mother is um, from Romania, mm. and she was involved in an evacuation in World War II. She lost her family, was separated from them when she was about 11, and she ended up in a German work camp during the war, got rheumatic fever, and lost her hearing. So she, married my, she met my father at 14 when the American soldiers came, and he married her at 15, and kind of fudged the papers and got her to America. So I grew up with a mom who wasn't particularly 
educated in a traditional way. There wasn't a lot of follow others. It was survival. It was use your instincts. Plus she was deaf. So she had to feel energy. Mm. So I grew up in a family where my first sense of hearing wasn't listening to sound. It was listening to vibration. And she would say that vibration is the truth. What people say isn't necessarily the truth. You have to listen with your heart. And that's how I learned to hear. And I think that's what intuition is, is learning to hear with your heart and body. And it's a feeling sense. It's not listening to words. So it saved her life. And it, it was her resource. So that's why it became so central to my family life. It was, you know, mothers give their kids tools for, for safety and survival. And that was of utmost and primary importance. She would say, listen to your spirit, trust your vibes. It'll save your life because it saved hers. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? And look what it's led you on such a fabulous path. Then you obviously went on to people realize that you had this amazing intuition and, you know, these psychic abilities and you went on to do readings for people. And during that time when you were still young, you saw the good, the bad and the ugly. Can you tell us a bit about that? What well, was interesting because I started doing, first of all, I was one of seven children mm-hmm. and in any family dynamic, kids jockey for position and try to find a way to, to, to be noticed, I guess. But I realized very young that I was very good at reading the vibes and it kind of made me f- feel special or different or, you know, important, but it was a game for me. It wasn't, I was too young. I was too immature. But so I started doing readings for neighbors, for my mom's friends, but I was immature. So I would see things I didn't comprehend. Mm-hmm. I remember very clearly doing a reading for a, a friend of my mom. I was maybe 10 and, or maybe 11. And I saw she was having. Uh, she was involved with someone who wasn't her husband. And and I was trying to get her to explain to me because I was saying, well, you're, she kept, she wanted, I said, I see you more interested in someone that's not your your <laughs> husband. And this man is where all your thoughts are. And I don't know why, but I also had a very dramatic experience because at the time she was spending all her time away from home. And I just, I would get guidance from spirit guides and my spirit guides kept telling her she had to go home. And she was annoyed with me because she felt it was a judgment Mm -hmm. about her relationship and she had no patience for me. And I said, you have to go home because she was sneaking out at night. She had two sons and one was handicapped in some way. And while she was out at night, left them because her husband was a night worker that one son started the house on fire and it turned out to be quite a tragedy and she was not home. Mm. So the re- her reaction, of course, I'm sure was re- filled with remorse and guilt, but she was also projected that on me. And I'm a kid. I'm like, I don't think I was even 12 years old. So it was a real quick education for me that, Definitely life was more than it appeared. And people were not necessarily, you know, they didn't necessarily do things that made sense. And emotionally, they were 
what they were saying, what they were doing were not lined up. So I got a real quick education in the complexity of human beings. And, and it was kind of a shocking bucket of water in my face, but it also started me on my spiritual education and mentoring with, with teachers and learning at a really deep level, very young about the soul and about our growth and our challenges and the complexities of human life. So I definitely think I was meant to do this from the beginning. Do you think it made you grow up faster? I mean, like knowing, seeing information like that, which, you know, a 12 or 11 year old wouldn't even know about. And then you're obviously seeing those things. How, how did you navigate life knowing adult concepts? It fast forwarded me and made me grow up super fast, but it was fascinating. Mm. It was entertaining. And I found I had mentors and teachers. I didn't really have anyone to discuss with me the psychological discrepancies of all what I was seeing, but I was quick to learn that (laughs) I was quick to learn that most human beings were fumbling through life and weren't very clear. And they were, it seemed like everybody was walking into walls and connecting to people they shouldn't be connected to. And, and so I realized that I didn't want to just do readings. I think by the time I was 12, 13, I decided I need to teach these people to turn their inner light back on because I'm just directing. It seemed like a bunch of cars on a highway with everybody with blinders on and it was just a crash course of humanity. And I thought, this is insane. I got to get these people to turn their inner guidance on because they're all crashing into one another and making life dangerous for all of us. And so that was... That was, I really believe I, by the time I was 12, I was already planning my first courses. I'm sure I did my first classes when I was not even 14. Like, this is too crazy. How can you, how can anyone have a safe life, let alone be safe to be around? If their inner, it's like if your lights are off and driving on the highway, it's like with your, with your eyes closed. So, so it was somewhat self-interested. That, you know, world seemed too crazy for me, but I also wanted to help people not crash and burn in their lives, which I was observing was happening constantly. Isn't that fascinating? And then you went on, as you mentioned, that you had some amazing teachers and you forged a beautiful working relationship with a man named Dr. Tully, who taught you mm-hmm. how to use your abilities of to the greatest good. Can you tell us a bit about about that relationship and what he went on to teach you? Well, actually, I had two master teachers. One was Dr. Tully and one was Charlie Goodman. Mm. Charlie Goodman was an English theosophist who taught me the psychic arts. He taught me about meditation, clairvoyance, clairaudience, how to discern between telepathy and real guidance and high guidance and riffraff. And I had a, a really incredible opportunity with him. And then Dr. Tully, I was introduced to right after that. He taught me metaphysical law. Mm-hmm. He taught me that you, your thinking can create, that we create with emotion, that we have past lives and we have souls that are here on journeys. And, and 
that how we needed to take responsibility for our consciousness. And I worked with both of those teachers all through my adolescence. Most kids are out partying and, and, you know, being wild. I was with them twice a week, three times a week in these deep lessons from the time I was 12 to the time I left home at, at 20. And there's a there's actually a beautiful passage in one of your books called The Diary of a Psychic, which I just want to read out. It's what you learned from Dr. Tully, which is so just so important. According to him, creativity was our nature and our gift from God, and we created everything in our lives, like it or not. He said that the goal of life is to learn to create what we really want from our heart because that's where our soul lives and expresses itself and not to settle for poor creations and unfulfilled dreams. If we listen to our heart, he said, and follow the laws of creativity, we can attract what we really desire. This was the point of our earthly journey to create and express our loving spirit. That's, that's a beautiful passage. Can you tell us a bit about those teachings? Well, that I think became the cornerstone of my mission in life is that we have six senses and this inner compass, which is direct contact with the soul of us who came into a physical experience to create. That's why we're here to learn to create at the highest level. And that without knowing that we let our head create, we let our thoughts create. And our thoughts are not, this is what I discovered is most of what we're thinking isn't even what we consider to be valuable. It's what we were told to value. It's what we were, it was like poured into us, do this, do that. And because we learned that when we were young and we had to survive, we were dependent on the people teaching us, we had no choice but to cooperate. There was no one teaching us, you have an inner compass, you have inner guidance, you have a soul that knows what it wants, it communicates in your heart. You have to give that the importance and, and, and that's what will bring you joy. And that's what also bring the beautiful spirit in you to allow yourself to give your contribute to the world. So I kind of was realized I have to teach people something other than what they learned. And the sooner the better, because what most people were creating, as I had observed from doing readings, was made them miserable. And they felt trapped and angry and became unpleasant and dangerous sometimes to be around. So him teaching me that was the goal of life was not to be psychic. Your psychic sense, your intuition was your compass. It was your home base to your spirit and what is really authentically important to you. But to use that guidance, it's feedback and direction to stay connected to your heart and really learn to, to let that be what builds your life. And to this day, I'm still on that mission. Mm. It's still news to a great, a great deal of people. Fortunately, it's beginning to occur to people on a broader level that I create my life, but we don't create it from the head. We create the happy life from the heart. We create the profound life from listening to our highest intelligence, which is this inner guidance. So I remember when I learned that from him, I, I, don't, I was 
fascinated. And I dwelled on that and dwelled on that and dwelled on that. But I, I just have to say, I thought I'm going to put this to a test. Okay, this is all very good. But I'm going to put this to a test. So I decided, well, my, I was 16 and I thought my heart wants a car. And I was from a big family that had certainly no resources to buy me a car. So I decided I am going to create this. I'm going to create this. And at the time I'd been doing readings for a while and I read for a very peculiar gentleman. I remember his name, Maurice R. Franks. And he said he was an attorney and he was in a, he was in a, um, lawsuit trying to change laws about alimony and divorce, which was all way over my head at the time. But he asked me if he would win his suit because he was taking it to the Supreme Court, the highest court in the country. And I said, you will win and you will change the law. And he said, if you do, if this is right, I'll give you anything you want. So off he goes and almost five months later, he comes back and says, I won. And I'm going to keep my promise. What do you want? And I said, I want a car. And he was surprised. And he said, okay, I'll buy you a car. And I remember my first car. He said, what would you like? And of course, I'm, I'm not ostentatious. I chose a $600 1968 VW Bug, Volkswagen. But I got it. I had a car. And then I knew what I was taught by Dr. Tully was real. When it comes to creating, manifesting things, and obviously doing it from the heart, are your beliefs that we can manifest whatever we want in our life? Or does it have to always be for the highest good for all? How do you see manifestation unfolding? Well, I don't want to give anybody impression that if I have a whim, I'm going to make it happen. Yes. It's, it's, it's certainly a much deeper, more dedicated and profound love affair that's required. And you can, we create what we dwell on in the heart. We create, we create what we focus and dwell on consistently. And when there's no conflict, your head, your heart, your body, your words, they all have to be moving in the same direction. And we can actually create from the head. It's just that we create things that don't make us happy. Mm-hmm. We create all kinds of messes, for sure. But what I'm talking about is creating what brings you deep inner peace and satisfaction. That would not just include what makes you personally happy. It naturally includes the greater good. Mm-hmm. When you create from the head, It can be very egoistic and very selfish and be completely unconcerned with its impact on others. And frankly, that is where most people are creating. They are, they're dwelling on fears. They're dwelling on, they're dwelling on beliefs that are very limiting. They create those experiences, but they also bring with them the chaos and the disruption and the unhappy ramifications. So, Every human being is a master creator, but most human beings are messy creators and they create messes. They don't create what brings them peace. So I'm, my mission is to say, look, how's that working out for you? And let me teach you something better because I will admire that you are creating, but let's look at the mess you've made. 
see it as a creation and let's improve upon that. And when you start to go to the heart, you start being selfish. You stop because our hearts are all connected. Our spirits are all connected. So the goal of what we want changes. It's not me against you anymore, mine at your expense. The, the nature of heart creations is more humanitarian and inclusive, but naturally. How do people get into their heart centre to be able to do that? A lot of people struggle to actually get there and get out of their head. I agree. I really feel like the majority of people, they even think they, they, they think they're in their heart and they're still in their head. Mm. They'll say, you know, I feel upset because you didn't do what I want. And they think that's in their heart because they said the words I feel, but the head part is the judgment. I feel upset because you're not treating me correctly, but I have a simple way of getting in the heart. And it's so easy. I just tell people to fill in the blank. If I weren't afraid, I would. And just fill in that blank for three minutes out loud. And out loud is important because when you express the voice is connected to the heart. If I weren't afraid, I would. And see what hap- what, what, what actually presents itself. And if you do that for three minutes a day, while you're in the shower, while you're, you know, cooking dinner, when you're just by yourself, but out loud, guaranteed your heart will reveal itself. Because what blinds the heart, what blinds you to the heart is fear. So you just push the curtain away. If I weren't afraid, I would. And let's, let's see what you say. With life ever evolving as it is, I feel that a lot of people are now looking outside themselves of the normal kind of paradigms and seeing, you know, seeing that there's something else. There's like an awakening right now in time that there there hasn't been before. How can we use this to create a better world for all of us and our children? Well, one of the things, it's been slowly awakening. When I started work, in the 70s, 80s, in the 70s, I was treated like a weirdo. In the 80s, I became a little bit more entertaining. In the 90s, I started being recognized as maybe having something people can learn. So when my book started getting published and things started shifting. And from 2000 on, I see the world has been gradually changing its priorities because I think people have found external guidelines, the ones they were given, failing more and more thoroughly. The promises they were made to be in their head and follow their guidelines have not produced what they were promised. So there's an acceleration now. So much of our world has collapsed. So much of what we told was predictable is not. Even like this pandemic, I mean, everybody all of a sudden is like stuck in their homes, disconnected, all the things they assumed were protecting them and would would never disrupt their lives have, but it's put us collectively back in our hearts, back in our bodies, 
back in the company of our ourselves, we've been we've been forced to kind of be with our our own consciousness, mm-hmm. and it's it's causing people to recognize that maybe the problem isn't them because I'm all by myself here. Maybe it might be me. Maybe I could go inward and see what I can what I can control is what's going on inside of me because clearly what's going on outside of me I have no influence on. So I think that people are in it's sort of like in an incubator, a hot house, you know. I call it global summer school. We're all advancing quickly, plus our consciousness is affecting one another. The more of us that start waking up to the fact that we are divine beings that are empowered, we're not victims, we are co-creators, we are able to manifest at a higher level, other people around us are starting to pick up on the frequency and kind of being caught in the in the in the draft of this, just like these kind of conversations. It's like, well, that's interesting. And I think it's activating the heart. So we feel it internally that there might be truth to that. We're, we're pulled beyond our intellect. We're energetically kind of excited, at least to the point of curiosity. So I feel like we're at a, ga- a change point on the planet where the learning is really going to take off in the next two, three years. Mm. We will create collectively a much more beautiful world. I'm confident. I guarantee it. And we're right in the midst of it now. It's amazing how everything's shifting and I do agree. I feel that everyone is feeling that there is this, you know, there's this awakening, which is, like you said, it's been happening for a while and it's definitely happening a lot now, more so than years ago. One thing you say, Sonia, is that every human being is intuitive. Can you explain to us a bit about what intuition is? Well, first of all, I like to start with the word because mm. it means inner guidance. It means inner learning. So we have an, an innate organic part of us that is where our spirit comes into our body and gives us life. That's our heart. Science doesn't even know why the heart beats. But when that spirit enters the body, that heartbeat takes off. And our hearts are conscious, aware, um, sensory organs. And so, and it's the first organ to develop in the body. It informs us. It informs the body. The the gut is another conscious brain. And there is a, a, a cochlear, which is the inner ear, which is another part of our physical body that picks up information, not through words or through external things, it feels vibration. And vibration is how the planet is created. That's how the planet unfolds. And so our intuition is that inner part of us that is constantly, it's like following following the wind or following the waves, following the seasons. It, it senses the waves of life and can give us guidance on how to go with the flow, literally, that's what it, it, you're learning to do with intuition. Go with the energetic flow of things and move away from obstacles and storms. But what I like to tell people is we, we have to re- recognize intuition is not verbal. It's energetic. It's a different language. It's a feeling language. It's a, you feel it. And 
I've been teaching for over 40 years around the world. And when I ask people where, just I'll say in any audience, where does your intuition come from? Naturally and organically, humans will go right to put their hand right on their heart. Mm. No one ever does this. Never. (laughs) You know, and I never know where, no one. We innately understand that this heart is this is sort of like the sunshine of our life. It's that it's the spotlight on the road. It's the it's the compass that gives us direction. But it isn't a language compass. It is an energy and feeling, a vibration compass. So if we start paying attention to our vibes, our vibrations, they will guide us instantly. You're wired for this. Nobody has to try hard to get this to work. They have to try less and relax into it. It's funny, you know, I had a situation a couple of weeks ago where I went to see uh, see someone that was giving me a service. As soon as I sat in that chair, I knew there was something not right. I knew there was something not right. And then the the more we got talking, the more my heart started to beat faster and faster and faster. And I thought, I I just, I want to leave. I want to leave. And, you know, everything was fine. But the more I dug deep, I found that this, I wasn't in a, in a situation that was good. And it, it is that exact thing, that innate knowing as soon as I sat down, I knew, I knew that I felt. Instantly. Yes. Well, here's what I want to say. And this is especially for women because of women having been indoctrinated to be nice, Mm. which means cooperate and give your power away. But what I know about human beings is they are intuitive. What has to change is give yourself permission to follow it without question. That's not, I can't feel it because everybody's feeling it and women especially have been really trained be nice take care of someone else's feelings don't be unpleasant don't be provocative don't be judgmental cooperate and it's basically the sheep being led to the slaughter Mm -hmm. so i say trust your vibes and and if you have to make it up and say you know excuse me i don't feel good all of a sudden i don't know why and run away. Yeah. Because your body, your vibes are your compass of truth, your truth serum. Mm. I love your story. That is a great example. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it is, it is. It, I mean, it can guide you for good and for bad to, you know, be in a situation that you know is the right one or a situation that isn't. So, you know, listening to those vibes and your intuition is so unbelievably important. Something else that you talk about, which I find really interesting, is the topic of karma. And a lot of people misinterpret exactly what that is. Can you explain a bit about karma and our life's journey using karma? Well, I think, again, I always like to go back to what the word actually means. Right. Because we interpret it as punishment. Yes. But actually the word means to learn. And if we look at school... Life is school and our soul comes and the class, the goal of class is to become a conscious co-creator. Then our karma is the 
is where we failed the test, where we, where we didn't quite learn correctly, so we get a redo. So it's not punishment. And we're not bound to suffer any... I, I actually think that the global vibration on the planet, because of being so helped by the universe, is we're being kind of freed up of some of our karma in that we don't have to go through every lesson, you know, tit for tat. But if we've, if we've chosen that I'm going to be a resentful, angry, vindictive person, then we've not learned the lesson of an open heart and forgiveness, compassion, and self-responsibility. So we're going to keep running into unhappy experiences until we begin to reflect that maybe my attitude is inviting some of all this hostility and maybe my attitude is attracting some of this disappointment. So when I've, when I've had enough, I might change my own perspective and then the experience will change. So karma is just means learn a lesson and that can be as difficult or as, as, as quick as you choose. It's funny, you know, because you see that when those situations start showing up and then, you you know, and then they'll manifest into kind of a different situation, but the same thing. And you're like, why am I attracting all this stuff? But you're right. As soon as you have those experiences and you change the way you are or the way you think towards a certain thing, how much does your life change and those experiences never seem to find you anymore? It's unbelievably I liberating. To, I had to tell you, this is such a great story. I have a client who I've been, and, and a student, who I've been working with for, for maybe a dozen years, coming once a year. And her big frustration was, I'll never be loved. Mm. You know, the, it's very common, you know, I won't be loved. There's no one out there for me. There's only jerks. Nobody even sees me. No one notices me. So here she's in this pandemic and she said, okay, I'm going to change my attitude and I'm going to decide that I'll love me. I'm, I'm stuck here. Might as well learn this. You've been sharing it. I've never really taken it seriously. I'm going to learn this. So she actually changed her attitude and really did decide, I'm going to love myself. So she's, she's working on this. She's praying on this. She's actually changing her inner attitude. So she gets this hit, intuitive hit, to sign up for a dating app, which she, her logic brain argued because it's like, you can't even go outside, okay? You're locked <laughs> in. You can't go outside. This is not the time. She did it anyway. So she goes on this app and she had tried it in the past, but never saw anyone attractive. So she sees someone super attractive visually. So she pings out, gets a response. They start dialoguing. Next thing you know, three, four, five conversations down, they have common friends. They, they, they actually have backstory through their network. So then that kind of validates and verifies him to be not someone to be suspicious mm. of. Well, long story short, a month later, she says, I've never had more fun with a person mm. whom I don't even know, but we FaceTime every day. She said, this is an unbelievable, impossible success story because I have been locked down by myself. And here I am having the best time 
with someone and I never thought it possible. But that's how fast it can change. Isn't that fabulous? What a beautiful it's a story. story. Yeah, and it makes everyone realize that anyone can do this and it's it's not it's not hard. And don't look at appearances. Don't you can do it and don't worry if you're locked down and shut off and cut. the universe will find a way to get through. Yeah. Nothing will stop the creative flow once you decide. And the key is if there was one quick lesson right now to make your life work and your intuition to open up is love yourself mm. without condition. Just love yourself. Doesn't mean love your personality quirks. Love your essence. Love your spirit. Love the life force that makes your eyes pop open and your heartbeat. It's beautiful. Love yourself. And it's everything, so everything, everything will turn into a surprise party for you. You know, one thing that I always say to myself when I get into a situation that, you know, or something happens that is not to my liking, I always go back to like the universe has your back. It's not a universe mm-hmm. that is unfriendly. Can you explain a bit about that? Well, I think the universe loves and wants your success, but it also respects the gift that gave you, which is free will. Mm-hmm. So the universe is this very loving mirror. It mirrors you. It shows you where your own focus is. And it's not, it's not, it, it, it's divine benevolence to say, you are, you are a powerful creator. I'm going to show you what you're creating because you have the power to create something else. Mm. So it's not going to necessarily take away your power, but it will give you gifts. It'll, it'll give you synchronicities and surprises. And if we can open our eyes and begin to see and recognize, it's a change of channel. But if I said, been say, say to my students, did you get the gifts today? How did you enjoy your gifts today? Just as a change of perception, instead of looking at that life against me, because from an ego perspective, life is very threatening. Mm. The ego by nature is threatened. But when I say, did you get your gifts today? It, it invites you to go to the heart self, the spirit in you, which is not threatened. And that's where you really feel the universe has your back. Never in the ego sense. Nothing has your back in the ego no. sense. You are on your own, on an island. You are you are being ambushed. You'll never find it there. But when you go to the spirit in you, the heart in you, and here's a technique to do that. It's, I'd like to just, I'd like to give people techniques, not just information, mm. but I suggest that you name your spirit and you recognize it as a different aspect of you. So, for example, I named my spirit as the bright light. It's my bright light. It puts a bright light in the room. It takes me out of the dark. It takes me out of my fear. So when I want guidance, I refer to that part of me called bright light, which is my spirit that's connected to the universe. And I suggest to people, give that essence of you that you're ignoring its own name. And that allow, that's how your mind gets organized to change the channel. And it really does work. Do you believe that our prayers are heard? Yes. I believe our prayers are heard 
I think the prayers that come from the deep part of our soul are always heard and answered. I think our short-term, um, more selfish, more egocentric, like, please, you know, please make this person love me. Please let me get that job. Please let that person get get a retribution for not treating me right. I don't think those prayers are necessarily heard benevolently, thank God, because we'd have already be a crash course and a lot of people would be very injured if that part of us had that much power. I think the prayers of our heart and spirit are heard, honored, and fulfilled. And if we start naming our gifts of life and what we're grateful for, we can recognize that pretty instantly. What's the lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? Patience. That the universe sometimes unfolds at a, at a little bit slower rate than my impatient kind of fiery, let's go, let's do it nature is comfortable with. I have, I have realized in my own life, my biggest problems have always come from wanting things too quickly. And, and I've really learned patience recently being in my, my beautiful incubator here locked down. And I find that it, what it's done, and it's such a beautiful, liberating gift for me, is it's even caused me to not want so much and just relax. You know, when you learn, you can create your own reality. You can also go like kid in a candy store. I'm going to create this. I'm going to create that. And that can get you all wound up too. And so now in this new time, I'm learning just, just let go and observe and see what naturally unfolds. And that has been actually a profoundly joyful, deeply relaxing, surprising way to just realize life is beautiful and I can just settle down into it a little more. When you look back at your life, all of the things that you've done and you've achieved, which are many, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of having deeply authentic, very happy relationships with my daughters where we're 100% authentic and friends and that I've created with the people I've worked with, a global family. Where I just feel like I have such a beautiful, huge, huge family of gorgeous spirits that I'm in love with. And I'm proud that I've been blessed enough to have these intimate connections with so many people in so many corners of the world that, that it just feels like I swim in a sea of the beautiful, loving nature of humanity. What's your greatest hope for our society today? My greatest hope is that we actually will collectively change the channel and quit seeing the world from a me against you perspective and begin to see that we're all in this together and that we can, that there's enough, enough love, 
there's enough time, there's enough space, there's enough creativity that we can coexist and nobody gets left behind and that 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 everybody gets to be included in this feeling of being loved and valued and worthy. I, I'm really seeing it happen. I'm observing it happen. I'm I'm thrilled and humbled and in awe. But and I'm a believer in humanity. I'm a believer that we are gonna get it right. I believe that. Mm. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of greatness is when you love fearlessly. A life of greatness is when you are not holding your heart um, closed to either to give or receive love and that you, you really love fearlessly. You, you, you love and you love some more and you love some more no matter what appearances are because I have seen how much good and healing and affirmation a lover of life can do. And to me, at the end of the day, the last question, and I'm sure the question we'll meet on the other side when we exit our bodies is how much did you love? And how much did you enjoy yourself? Sonia Choquette, thank you for bringing so much light into this world. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I feel so honored to be able to share this conversation with you and your listeners. Stay connected by following A Life of Greatness on Instagram at A Life of Greatness Podcast. For more information and to watch videos on this and other episodes, head to sarahgrimberg.com. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate and review A Life of Greatness on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. A Life of Greatness is a Podcast One Australia production. Executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolich and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tottiel for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au.